Welcome to The Proletarian Contrarian, the podcast where we reevaluate bad films through a leftist perspective. I'm Nick. And I'm Lewis. And we have a special treat for you today. We have our second Zack Snyder movie, uh, returning repeat offender Zack Snyder, repeat procon offender Zack Snyder. (laughs) Zack Um, attack, motherfuckers. Zack attack Snyder. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we're doing Sucker Punch. Um, That 2011... I guess it was a bomb. It it didn't recoup its um it didn't recoup its expenses at the box office, but um no, certainly I, I a think very it has like a twenty two on Rotten Tomatoes as well. Yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of fans, a lot of audiences liked it. Um, it, it's 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 in like the eighties or something. Um, for audience reception, but not a critical darling and not a box office success. But um, kind of, I I like this movie more than I thought I would. Yeah, me too. It's interesting that it's his only uh, original film as well. It's his only original screenplay. Yeah, and and just going off of that, I kind of wish he would do more original ideas. Like, like he definitely needs some help, and he definitely needs like yes. someone to. He definitely needs like a team of collaborators. But the 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 guy has a vision, and um, he has a strong aesthetic, and he has a strong sense of some at least some original ideas that I would like to see fleshed out more. Well, uh, your wish will be fulfilled next year, actually. Uh, he's making a film called Army of the Dead, which is right. actually not a continuation of like the George Romero series, uh, Okay, but it is an uh, original idea re- involving zombies, uh, sure. who... I think it's like there's a zombie outbreak in Las Vegas and like these mercenaries are going to like go rob a casino or something. So uh, I'll put actually original in scare quotes, but like it, it's not based on an intellectual property. It is sure. its own screenplay. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I would be down to see that. Maybe that's like a, a drunken late night next Netflix binge or something, but um, I would be. Yeah. <laughs> that, well, you're in luck. It also is a Netflix original. So. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. God damn it. Uh, fuck Netflix, by the way. Um, yeah, fuck them. So yeah, we're doing Sucker Punch. Came out in 2011. Um, deals with themes of escapism and fantasy and institutionalized kind of like patriarchal abuse of, of young women. Um, and, and it stars Emily Browning, Abby Cornish, Jenna Malone, Vanessa Hudgens, Jamie Chung, Carly Gugino, Oscar Isaac, John Hamm, and motherfucking Scott Glenn. Hell yeah. It's a great pretty, cast. Pretty good cast. Yeah, it's a yeah, great cast. Yeah. I, I'm not actually sure what like half of them are doing now. Um, the big ones are obviously Oscar Isaac. We know he's gone on to do bigger and better things. He's in like mm-hmm. every other movie. Um, mm-hmm. John Hamm, he's always doing something. I know he was in that TV show, um, Good Omens, on Amazon recently. I uh, thought you were gonna make a Mad Men joke or something. Like that TV, <laughs> that little TV show, Ang- Angry Guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not that clever, unfortunately. Um, I have ne- I I don't know what Emily Browning's up to. I actually don't know who she yeah. is at all. Um, she's Baby Doll. She's Baby Doll. She plays a character, Baby Doll. Um, <laughs> Jenna Malone. Jenna Malone. She, 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 yeah. ba- she bounces around she in a does. lot of stuff. Yeah, she was in like that that scene that was cut out of Batman vs yes. Superman. She she plays the gender swapped version of Jimmy Olsen. Yes, is that what I, she? I think her name is that. I have no idea. No, I mean, her, no, her the, role was cut, so I actually have no, I know nothing about it. But there, I think there's another character called Jenny, who's like, oh, is it's kind of like Jimmy Olsen, whatever. Yeah, I have no idea. Altogether, great casting. Scott Glenn's casting is probably the most interesting for me. I just like I don't understand how he got this like wise man mentor sage mm-hmm. like, casting yeah, recurring casting. 
because he's he's stick in the daredevil um netflix show and he, he's a good stick like he he is that character um what else is he in like as, as a why as, as like the grizzled mentor type well i was just wondering if it all comes from his role in the keep yeah yeah yeah. he's not so much a um, mentor but he is kind of like a zen warrior type in the keep interesting great casting just strange strange stuff here folks yeah and um it, it has to be said um that fucking movie inception uh came out a year before this movie i who knows how like the like the byzantine politics of hollywood and like screenwriting and all that crap go down but um th- this movie definitely had very heavy inception vibes in terms of like different layers of fantasy different layers of of reality and then diving ever ever deeper like in like interspersed with like really absurd over the top action yeah so i guess we can kind of go into the plot or what what semblance of a plot there is in this film um Mm -hmm. so as we said emily browning plays a character called baby doll in the first opening five minutes of this movie her mother dies um her stepfather is abusive to her and her sister who he actually kills and then before she can kill him uh she has a change of heart and he institutionalizes her in a Lennox institution, which is actually named after Annie Lennox, the lead singer of the Eurythmics. And we can get into how that is relevant to this film oh in a few God, seconds. And that, uh, <laughs> that did stand, that name did stand out to me. Like what, where's that from? Like it, 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 as they play like this, with this weird cover of, of sweet dreams are made. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll put a pin in that folks. Uh, yeah. yeah and and we, we can put a pin <laughs> in the plot summary too, but um, yes. b- basic summary is, institutionalized uh young woman um suffering from abuse by the patriarchy go deal with different different layers of fantasy to cope and to try to empower themselves right yep um so that's where people like uh, abby cornish jenna malone vanessa hudgens and, and jamie chung come in there uh right. her her co uh asylum Pri- captive, captive prisoners prisoners yeah. um but yeah, we do have a piece of a review here by Kurt Jensen from the media review of the Catholic <laughs> News Service, <laughs> which was a hell of a choice here by Lewis. Yeah, I, uh, late last night, I was just scrounging for reviews, and the majority of them <laughs> were fucking boring. Um, not to yeah. say this one is all that interesting, but um, it hit, I think, the right beats and more of the consistent beats that a lot of reviews hit. Um, it just... Yeah, it was just written by some Catholic dude. And I do want to say, <laughs> I tried looking this guy up, uh, Kurt Jensen. I couldn't really find much, but I did find that he he still writes some uh, media reviews for the Catholic News Services, but he also writes for America Magazine, which I wasn't really familiar with, but I had recently read an article um, by one of their contributors uh, on their op-ed page, uh, Dean Detloff of the Magnificast, shout out to another great podcast, um, mm-hmm. lefty Catholic podcast. Yeah, The Catholic Case for Communism. Great article yeah, by folks. Dean Detloff uh, and really not at all relevant to this film, but just wanted to do that shout out. Yeah, I mean, um, American Magazine is that is a Jesuit publication. And as as far as Catholics go, I mean, you could the Jesuits are probably like the top tier of Catholics in terms of their politics and everything. Yeah. You um, could even very, say they're, very, they're God tier. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, no, no, that, that's, that's appropriate. <laughs> that's, that's the spirit of uh, this discussion in this movie. Um, so yeah, uh, Jensen writes, Sucker Punch will eventually make a dandy video game. As a fantasy film though, 
It's an incohate mess designed especially for those who like their movies to be thrill rides, devoid of such niceties as coherent plot, writing, or wrap-up. I mean, yeah. That's kind of. I have a, I have a, I have a more nuanced um a more nuanced response to to his video game resp- to his video game comment there that I can get into later, but um I I don't disagree with that summation in 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 general. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think it's devoid of a coherent plot. I think it does have a coherent right. plot and I think it does wrap up the film. It's just like it's underdeveloped. I think that is one of the key phrases we could use for this yes. film. Underdeveloped. Yeah, I I'll 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 amend that. It, it's not devoid. It's just um, the plot and the wrap up are buried through too many needless layers of complexity. So Jensen continues here. Uh, there's supposedly a girl power message folded somewhere in here among the bustiers, long false eyelashes, and elaborately choreographed fights pitting girls against robot warriors. But director Zack Snyder, who co-wrote the screenplay with Steve Shibuya, which I should say. Uh, this guy, Steve Shibuya, I looked him up like he's done nothing. Like he was an assistant director or some kind of assistant um, for the film Killer Clowns from Outer Space. And then like that's his career. I like I don't know. Maybe he's friends with Zack Snyder. Maybe they grew up together. I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, who knows the the weird politics of this writing, Hollywood writing. Yeah. Fucking weird. So sorry. Uh, but director Zack Snyder, who co-wrote the screenplay with Steve Shibuya, has primarily constructed a teen boy's comic book dream executed with an energetic capacity to link up slow motion wouldn't it be cool if sequences i mean that that's not inaccurate but i i do think that's giving this film a little bit of a disservice because um whether or not snyder and and shibuya pull it off that the movie does try to be more than just like anime jerk off material which which a lot of reviewers kind of dismiss this film as um I, i i do remember that when this movie came out um, and again, like, like not, that's not to say this movie succeeds in every like every deeper beat that it tries to hit, but at least it swings for that. Right. I think like honestly, the aspects of this film that just pander to like the teenage boy psyche or just like a, a more juvenile psyche are just the action scenes more than like the actual yeah. like sexiness yep. or the bustiers or the eyelashes, that kind of stuff. Because it's it's not something that even like we see much of like we'll get into this soon but like the narrative takes place in this fantasy brothel and like slash moulin rouge-esque cabaret but we don't really see much of that yeah it's it's weirdly censored um when it comes to sex and i mean maybe that's a greater commentary on like the american film going public's uh tastes in terms of like violence versus sex like what how how one is is shown much more explicitly than the other that's kind of a fabricated uh, attribution there but um but yeah the, like like the the burlesque sequences the 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 striptease dance sequences we don't really see them at all it, it's it's all left up to the imagination fittingly enough just to justify what we were just uh, talking about here the uh, catholic news services uh, actually has a classification of films a1 general patronage a2 adults and adolescents a3 adults uh l limited adult audience films whose problematic content may, many adults would find troubling and o for morally offensive um <laughs> sucker punch is actually an a3 so it's fine for adults not teenagers um damn so you know i, I mean according to the catholics counter the catholics so if it's fine for adults then there's not too much sex and violence it's not l it's not l it's not Limited it's not, audiences. Oh, it's not. Oh, it's not morally offensive. <laughs> so, oh, checkmate, man. fuckers. 
I kind of want to look up. Um, maybe we should include a link to like some of their some of their ratings. I don't know if, if, if there's a compilation of all their different ratings or something, but we should try to find like a, some O movies and some of the more ridis- ridiculous L and O movies. So be yeah, it's true. I should have done that research. Sorry, folks, but we'll we'll yeah, include it in the show notes. Everyone has Google. Um, so yeah, what, what what don't we like about this movie? Um, uh, as we mentioned, the cover songs. So yeah, well, we actually yeah. didn't say they were cover songs, but as I mentioned, uh, "Sweet Dreams" by the Eurythmics uh, mm-hmm. is not actually played. A a, a cover version of this by yep. uh, the star Emily Browning actually. <laughs> really yeah she sang a few of these songs apparently um but yeah so this is how the movie starts actually the movie starts with a a shitty voiceover by carla gugino's character um dr gorski uh but then slowly builds to uh, this terrible fucking cover of sweet dreams yeah and i wish it was the only cover of a popular song that we get it's not it's not folks (laughs) We get five, right? Like like, like five, five five girls, five yeah, items yeah. they need to get, five five shitty songs. Yep. Um, it all of them have like, I don't know, like like, like very mid aughts uh, energy mm-hmm. to them. Like oh, yeah. kind of like slow, overly produced, um, like soulful rock, like soulful alt rock covers of all these like classic songs that deal with fantasy and escapism, and um, yeah, just. Very, very weird. Yeah. And they all kind of sounded very similar, too. Very similar. And they're the perfect fodder for, like, CW action yes. shows. Like, yes. I remember I used to watch The Flash, and I've seen about the first two to three seasons of the CW Flash show. Mm-hmm. Not bad, actually. But there was, I believe in the first season, there's a scene where Barry Allen Flash is he's sad, and he starts running, and they play... Oh, it's, it's like... I forget which song it is, but it is like an eighties song where they talk about like speed and it's just like, it's like fast car or something. Oh man, that'd be even better if it was (laughs) fucking fast car by Tracy Chapman. That would be incredible. A song about poor people escaping the terrible situation (laughs) in this sucker punch kind of like weirdo alt rock soulful cover version. Yeah. No, actually, that yeah. that song would have fit better in this movie. <laughs> but no, I forget. I'll look it up and I'll put it in the show notes. Hey, folks. Lewis here. Sorry for the interruption. But hours later, I remembered it was the song I Ran by Flock of Seagulls. All right. On with the episode. Yeah. And the other four um, are Where Is My Mind, The, the Pixies, uh, White Rabbit, Jefferson Airplane, of course. Um Search and Destroy, The Stooges, I'm not too sure who that is, and then Tomorrow Never Knows by The Beatles, um, like we were saying, all done, all done on the very same kind of sound, they they all, they all do sound like different verses of the same song, almost, um, I don't know, maybe I was just, just distracted by like the, the on-screen visuals, but I really couldn't, I, I, I don't think I'd be able to tell the different cover versions apart. The Stooges is Iggy Pop's band, Nicholas. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry for, for uh, not living up to my, my the the uh, musical parameters that Lewis demanded of me. He's he's the greater music fan of the two of us for sure. Not by much, but I, I yeah, by some stretch Enough. of the imagination, yeah. I guess. Enough that you know who the Stooges are. Yes, but yeah, you know, these songs are all fucking terrible. There's also a remix of Bjork's um, "Army of Me," which. 
at least it's still Bjork singing, so that's good. But it's by the guys who actually do the Search and Destroy cover. Skunk Anazi is their name. I don't know. Maybe like fuck? I have no idea where Zack Snyder fucking finds these people. But you know what? You know that 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 sound that that's probably like his nephew's band or something. <laughs> probably. <It's> like, <laughs> just like, he's the type of guy who would do that for like you know his shitty fail son nephew. Uh, just like oh hey. I want to. I want to. I want to make it big someday. Uncle Zach is like, yeah, do this, do this. I'm doing this crazy like anime schoolgirl Nazi zombie robot movie. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah, there. But their remix is shit of of the Bjork yeah. song. Um, we yeah. first hear it uh, in the first action sequence of this film, and then we mm. hear it throughout. Um, okay. But it, you know, and the problem with these are all that they're they're literally interpreted on the screen, right? So, uh, right. Sweet right. Dreams talks about abuse, and yep. we see her stepfather abusing her and her yep. sister. Uh, yep. Where is my mind by the pixies? It's about your mind, and then we yep. see her get lobotomized. Uh, White Rab actually, I thought was the one that made no fucking sense, except that the band's name is Jefferson Airplane, and it's airplanes during the World War One sequence. <laughs> and also, um, God, the the Mecca. Oh, the Mecca has a bunny. Has Shit. A rabbit. Oh yeah. yeah, but it's not a white rabbit. It's a pink rabbit. It, it, it's it's a rabbit. We, we take what we, we take we take what we can get here. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. Um, search and destroy. Obvious, you know they're they're fighting orcs at a castle and they're searching yep. for a baby dragon. They're searching and destroying things. Um, a baby a baby wyvern, if you will. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. We'll get to that too. Um, and then actually, I guess tomorrow never knows makes no sense either, except that it's more like psychedelic, trippy, vague sci-fi shit. I guess. Yeah, that's true. Um. And I, I, it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I think his, uh, Snyder's predilection here for for choosing songs that are very overtly connected to what's going on in the plot, I, I think he ripped that off from Watchmen because he mm. did his Watchmen movie in two thousand eight, yep. right? And um, Watchmen famously does that throughout the text of the comic, and of, of course, it's like done well. Yeah, <laughs> it's, not, it's not done like it's not done like. Um, in a very pedestrian manner such as here but i i I think he was trying to he's like yeah uh, i made your movie on more and i can do it too i can do it in my movie so he just did it here yeah i think that's accurate it's just it's very unfortunate um what else do we hate about this movie okay so yeah the the main conceit of the movie is um young women who have been abused by like institutionalized patriarchy resist that patriarchy but to to cope with the act of resistance and to cope with the abuse, they engage in in fantasy worlds that they construct. I I, I think that's that's a fair um, one sentence summation of of what's going on here. Yeah, for sure. But the problem that the movie does with handling that is um, so there's the basic level of reality in the movie, and then Emily Browning retreats into. A first layer of fantasy in which she is a newly introduced, like a newly um, anointed. It's kind of ambiguous if if, if she's a prostitute or um, kind of a more generalized sex worker who also dances. Um, but sh- she's a sex worker in a burlesque house with yeah. the other girls. I just imagine that like he saw Moulin Rouge and he was like, okay, cool. I want her yeah. to be like the Nicole Kidman character or like he had seen yes. or, uh, you know, either the film or the play version of like Cabaret and was like, oh, cool. Like, I guess in, in, in his like pea brain, he was like <laughs> all like burlesque workers must also turn tricks. So uh, yeah, I think yeah. that's what we got here. 
and, and that that is kind of like a hack characterization, right? Like, oh, the idea that burlesque workers like it, it it's just such such like stock imagery in 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 cheap fiction. Um, um, um in, in, like to to use uh, sex work as representative of um of like male oppression of women. Right. Yeah. That's one of the big problems I had with this, because even if he's trying to base this film on Moulin Rouge or Cabaret, these are films and plays and stories that are actually way more sex positive, way more sex worker positive than this fucking movie is. Um, So, yeah, you know, Zack Snyder will tell you that he's actually not a right wing ghoul, but uh, his movies sometimes prove otherwise. He's he's a right wing ghoul despite himself. I, I, I don't think. I mean, I, I'm not trying to just rag on the guy too much because I don't hate him, but like, I, I just don't think his poli- I don't think his politics are that developed even. Right. No, I think that's true. I mean, he, he just likes cool shit and he likes fascist imagery. Yeah. Unfortunately. Exactly. I I don't think he's uh, you know an an uber fascist himself. Um, I think if most people would in an interview tell him, hey, the alt right really likes 300, he'd be like, oh. I didn't mean that. I don't know where they got right. that idea from. I can't even right. fathom it because actually the Greeks invented democracy. <laughs> like that, that would be his answer. Yeah. Um, he is going to make the fountainhead eventually as well. He's oh, going to adapt yeah. that. But uh, I read an interview with him about that and he was like, Oh yeah. Like I ran crazy, but I'm not a ghoul. And uh, I just, yeah, I like her stories. So it's not something politics isn't something he thinks about. He, he's just a dude, bro. He's just a dude, bro. Who likes cool shit on screen that like, that's all it is. Yeah. Actually, I remember an old profile of him right, right around the same time. I think his his daughter committed suicide, and he um, had to drop out of making Justice League. Uh, there was, uh, I think, I don't know if it was GQ or some other men's magazine did this profile on him, and they like went to he has like this giant warehouse that he writes all of his scripts in, and like Shh. does his exercise out of, and like that, his business is run out of this like warehouse basically. Uh, that is awesome. He's he's a he's such a fucking bro. That that yeah. is such the perfect Zack Snyder thing. It's probably like his own. It's not CrossFit because he he he's not like he's not so basic that he would do CrossFit. But it's like his own version of like Batman CrossFit. Oh yeah, like that sequence mm-hmm. that sequence in in Batman vs Superman when when Ben Affleck's working out like dragging the tire like that's that's what Zack Snyder does. Oh, I, I think so definitely. I think I remember oh, that yeah. in his uh, warehouse. He, and he has a lot of like I think him and Joe Rogan would be good buddies. Yeah, like I bet oh, they are God, yeah. actually. Yeah. That, I would I would be shocked if, if Snyder hasn't been on Joe Rogan. Um, yeah, or like they actually hang out in real life together. Yeah. I don't know, but uh, I remember like the warehouse having a lot of those kind of like sword and skull aesthetic kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 oh yeah. Um, and again, and, and it it should be noted like not to not to absolve uh, Z- Snyder or Rogan for that matter of like of pandering to right wing chuds because they certainly do despite their intentions. But like whatever this means on a personal level, they seem relatively okay in terms of like bro celebrities right yeah and i think there are ways to read a lot of his films in in a more generous leftist way which we've done with justice league previously Mm -hmm. you know it is actually a film about uh teamwork and uh how a, a, a leaderless group um of superheroes works better than one with a leader yeah, and um, just just going off the strength of this movie and Justice League, I'm I'm actually interested in seeing Batman versus Superman. Um, I've I've never actually seen that one, but I, I kind of want to see it. Um, 
I kind of don't don't trust the Zack Snyder internet consensus. But to circle back to my original criticism of the fantasy sequences of this movie, fittingly enough, uh, we kind of got too complex here in the weeds, and we kind of got <laughs> lost among the discussion, just like just like Sucker Punch does. Um, but yeah, so beneath the brothel fantasy sequence, there is uh, four different sci-fi fantasy action sequences um, that are representative of the girls' struggles in in their in their plan to escape the the brothel which is also reflective of what happens in real life in the in the mental institution right um and and that's where it kind of the whole thing falls apart for me because um it's super ambitious i i give i give snyder and shibuya credit for like trying to do this like multifaceted, multi-layered like escape sequence essentially that's like a, the that runs the length of the entire movie but I, I don't know why the brothel layer exists. It doesn't need to. They, th- this movie would have been fine and would have been a lot tighter and more cohesive if it was just the reality layer of the mental inst- institution and then the various fantasy layers of of samurai, zombie, World War II, dragon stuff. Yeah. I do wonder if maybe in an earlier version of the script, and I just had this thought, uh, if maybe it was just the actual mental institution without the uh, without the brothel sequences, but then after John Carpenter's film The Ward came out a year earlier, 2010, maybe huh. he had to add the brothel sequences to distinguish his film from The Ward, which is takes place in a mental institution and has a lot of similar themes, except it's a horror film. I wonder if he was like, fuck, I got to now I got to. But again, he'd be filming at the same time, though. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Some some weird some weird synchronicity of like the Ward and Inception both coming out in 2010, a year before this. And, and then like this comes out a year later. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's something there. But like whatever the reason, um, the, the whole brothel layer of fantasy could just have been completely excised and this movie would be better for it yeah definitely and then i have my actual theory that i've been thinking about since we watched this film uh, <laughs> whereas this ward theory i just had two seconds ago uh mm-hmm. in real in real time people in real time uh theorizing that's what you get when you when you hell listen yeah. to pro con <laughs> um it's called praxis folks hell yeah that is praxis but yeah my actual theory about this is that Zack snyder He's he is a pragmatic director in some respects. Like he knows what he can do, he knows what he cannot do, what he cannot direct or what he can't pull off. So what is he good at? He's good at action sequences. So what does he oh, replace yeah. narratively? Um maybe we should go into this a little bit more, but yeah, so um Baby Doll retreats into a fantasy one of the first fantasy sequences, it's the samurai sequence where she meets uh, Scott Glenn's character, the mm-hmm. wise man who tells her, hey, you got to find uh, a key. You have to find a lighter or fire. Um, you have to find a knife and you have to find a map. And then that's how you will escape. And, and crucially, he says the fifth thing you need to find is it will be revealed to you when the time's right. Right. Um, so then that that kicks off the rest of this film, the rest of the, the narrative structure of this film. It would be what most people would assume a heist film after this. Mm-hmm. But again, I think Zack Snyder knows he can't do a heist film. He's not that kind right. of director. You know, right. there's a lot of moving parts. The mechanics of a heist film are just very difficult. You know, there's there's very yeah. few directors who can pull that kind of thing off. Very few screenwriters who can pull that kind of thing off. 
Brian De Palma, Mission Impossible One. Hell yeah, Brian De Palma, uh, Michael Mann with Heat. Um, yep. You know, these are people who that's their stock and trade. But someone like Zack Snyder, he's not going to do that. So he creates these elaborate fantasy action sequences that he can do really well. And yeah, and because all the all the fantasy all the fantasy sequences are very sequestered. They have they don't really impact each other at all, and and right. that's to its benefit, I think. Like. He, Every time they try to get a new item, they have a new fantasy sequence for the struggle to get that item. And yeah, to for for someone who doesn't want to do it like a, a really complex interconnected heist plot, that that's an effective tool for getting around that. Yeah, definitely. Now, the brothel comes in because what happens is uh, Baby Doll is just really great at dancing. So the the narrative conceit is that she dances, everybody's mesmerized, so the rest of the girls in the institution slash brothel can go and do their little heists. Um, so then that kicks off. The dance sequence starts off the fantasy sequences. Um, again, Zack Snyder knows he probably can't direct a dance sequence, yep. so we don't even see those. We don't. We see her like wiggling, and then that's it. Like it, we never see a full dance sequence. The, the reason behind this be damned, but I, I appreciate that it was so restrained. I appreciate that a director known for being ex- extremely over the top and extravagant um, didn't show us like the main character's main ability, main strength. Like, like we, he left it up to our imagination. That, w- that was kind of neat. Yeah. Well, and her actual strength is her imagination, right? Like that yes. is. Yes. Yes. That's what he's trying to drive at. <laughs> but and he 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 hits that and mark. He does he hits that mark. It's yeah. a little muddled. That is, um, it's super muddled. But um, yeah. So yeah, I guess to talk about this film and what we like about this film really is talking about the individual scenes, the fantasy scenes specifically. Because I actually don't think the scenes yes. in between the fantasy scenes are are much to write home about. Honestly, it's not. the The characterization is there. the The five girls um are are, are characterized differently enough. Um, Emily Browning is is the protagonist, um, and she she's just dealing with with her shit, her trauma stuff that she went through. Um, Sweet Pea and who's her sister? Rocket, Rocket is her sister. Sweet Sweet Pea, the older sister. Rocket, the younger sister. They they kind of look out for each other. Rocket is really hopeful. She wants to escape just as much as Baby Doll does. Sweet Pea is more the pragmatist. She only goes along with it to protect Rocket. And then. Um, and then the two other girls are Blondie and Amber. Um, they're kind of like the random ones that are added to the group for kind of like more more flavor and like more action sequence potential. But I guess like Am- Amber really wants to escape too, um, just like Rocket and Blondie. I don't know. She she was kind of like the the least characterized one. Yeah, yeah. I that which is strange because it's Vanessa Hudgens. You know, like <laughs> yeah, she she was arguably the biggest name of the young female stars of this movie. Right. Yeah, that was strange. At the time, at the time anyway. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, so a poor characterization for those two characters especially. I will say this movie passes the Bechdel test though. Yeah, it does. I mean... Um, <laughs> take, take Make it make of that what you will. Um, <laughs> Alison Bechdel, shout out to her. She's a, she's an amazing um, comic book artist and author. Um, but she, she herself has said that, that the Bechdel test is a joke. It, it's not meant to be like a real test for movies. Right, yeah. And didn't, like, Sweden actually put the Bechtel test into their, like, uh, movie rating system <laughs> or some, they, like, they, country? No, yeah, yeah. I, I no forget idea. which one, but some Scandinavian country was like, yeah, this is this is good for our movies. 
And I mean, like, I, I, I think Bechtel's dismiss, dismissal of the test, it's not that, like, oh, female characters don't need to talk to each other. Like, I, I think her, her, her dismissal of the test is, like, th- this is such a low bar that it shouldn't even be a point of conversation. Right, yeah. I think she would like to see uh, more fleshed out female characters in For all sure. movies and well beyond just who they talk to and what they talk about. For sure. The opening sequence, I, I don't want to dwell on it too much, but it is it is well directed. It it establishes yeah. baby dolls um background, which I alluded to earlier. Um I do want to say her stepdad character, uh the actor who plays him, Gerard Plunkett, looks like the uh congressman Denver Riggleman, uh, who <laughs> a lot of you might know as the Bigfoot erotica congressman. Hell yes. <laughs> now, I'm not is... saying he is him. I'm not saying he's abusive stepdad. <laughs> I don't know anything about him, but he looks like him facially. Which is intense Zack Snyder energy. Bigfoot erotica. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> That's That's, that should be his next goddamn movie. Fuck the Fountainhead. Jesus. You need to make a documentary on that guy. Hell yeah. A Zack Snyder documentary about some weirdo like that would actually be fascinating. Well, there is actually a, a documentary about Denver Riggleman, the congressman, because he owns a whiskey distillery in Virginia. Okay, yeah, but but Snyder didn't direct it, so I'm not no, interested. No, yeah, it, I'm sure it's yeah. garbage. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's called like guerrilla warfare because he was in the <laughs> army or oh something, God. and he's super That's... into guerrillas. Also, shout out to the opening of this movie. Uh, it takes place in Vermont. Uh, sh- shout out to New to New England, where I'm from. So hell yeah! Uh, shout out to Bernie Sanders, Bernie 2020. Um, <laughs> <laughs> always relevant folks in, always relevant yeah i think it takes place in brattleboro yes it does yeah, okay. yeah. that's yeah, at least yeah. where the institution is sure yeah, yeah, yeah. i don't i don't uh, remember if there's a title card prior to that for the, like their right. family home but let's assume right. it's close by and when does it take place it's kind of like it's so ambiguous it's kind of like yeah sin city era mm-hmm. it's like it's like vague 1950s americana um Definitely before computers, kind of like generic middle of the century time. Yeah, yeah. But then when we get into the fantasy sequences, like they have ARs and it's every time SMGs, every time and crazy shit. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Definitely, it's it's, doc, it's Doctor Manhattan timeline. Yeah. Um, Although, like at one portion when they're escaping from the institution at the end, the guy looks like he has Apple earbuds in. Yeah, I noticed that too. Um, I I honestly think that was just supposed to be. That was just like a screw up. I, I think it was supposed to be. <laughs> no, like honestly, because like there is no other context in the quote unquote real world sections that would even hint at that. That's true. Yeah. No, everything down to even like the cars. <laughs> I and, did. I did notice yeah, those Apple yeah. earbuds. I was like, what the fuck is with that? That was. No, there huge, were that, that old was, school earphones that kind of looked like that, but they were mostly for yeah. like people who had what was called like pocket talkers, you know, like stuff for people who were like hard of hearing. But right. like that guy was obviously listening to music. <laughs> right right he was distracted Um, from them escaping (laughs) but that that speaks to the strength of the movie's overall aesthetic that that was the only instance that were uh, that was like a glaring error you know yeah for sure because i i I do like zack snyder's aesthetic like his aesthetic from his dc movies his his aesthetic here it's very distinctive like everyone knows what zack snyder's movies look like yeah you know, and directors like that are few and far between nowadays. Yeah. If you look at the directors who've done MCU films or oh my God. directors who've done even big action films like the Planet of the Apes franchise, um, mm-hmm. I, I, there's nothing to tell them apart. Like, I know their names. I know these directors' names. I, knows, I know yep. which films they've made. But honestly, like, there's nothing visually that tells me this is their film. 
Yeah, I mean, Chris Christopher Nolan's movies look like they're filmed like in a mall most of the time. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's know. right, folks. We have to say fuck you to Christopher Nolan every episode. Procon hot take: Zack Snyder is more visually interesting than Christopher Nolan. Oh yeah, actually, no, the internet would agree with that. I think probably maybe the wrong yeah. portions of the internet, but uh, I'm willing. Fortune would agree with that, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the, after after the opening sequence, um, Baby Doll is put into the mental institution. Um, her stepfather basically sells her to Oscar Isaac, um, who is the orderly, the the orderly in charge of of the institution. And he's pretty good in this movie. He's such a fucking greasy, creepy, oozy guy. Um, and as has been established in earlier Procon episodes, I love me some weirdo, freaky, creepy characters. <laughs> Um, I do. I, I just, there's just something about it. It's just like, especially when they, when the actor goes over the top with them, I, I, I just kind of, I, I, I get a kick out of it. And, um, he does that here. And, and of course in the, in the brothel fantasy layer, he, he's represented as the brothel owner, the pimp essentially. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, it's, it's awkward in the way it's established too, that we're now in this like brothel world even cause it like yeah. replays baby doll yeah. being handed over by her stepdad, except like he's like a priest <laughs> and he's like, he runs an orphanage and he's handing her over. It's really strange. And it's so crazy because in the real world still, we, we get a brief montage almost of like, Oh a yeah, few months. Yes, uh, yeah. Of baby doll going to therapy. A few days, because it's there is a ticking time bomb aspect to the heist where the the the, the high roller slash the doctor is coming to give her a lobotomy. But I I think the days notion that can be explained away as being like symbolic in the in the burlesque sequence. Like the 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 point is they have a limited time period before the high roller slash the lobotomy doctor played by John Hamm comes to lobotomize baby doll. Right. But yeah, it, the movie goes through that sequence of Baby Doll's time in the mental in the mental institution, and then John Hamm is about to lobotomize her with a spike through the eyeball, but then it cuts to um, Sweet Pea in Baby Doll's clothes and in the lobotomy chair, like on stage, because now we're suddenly in the burlesque layer of fantasy and they're play acting a lobotomy like a sexy lobotomy and they, they object to it they're like this is like not sexy this is like gross and weird but like i don't get the connection it, it's just so it's it's such a sudden shift and i don't know it it, it it really threw me off that that transition there yeah i actually didn't know that was coming like i i had seen trailers yeah. for this obviously i i had never yeah. seen it before Maybe I didn't read the plot synopsis. Maybe like that's why it just took threw me for a loop there. But I I was really confused as to the whole brothel aspect. I I am still somewhat confounded, even though like I said, I have a theory for it. But yeah, so from here we get into the action sequences, which is um the only thing worth talking about. Pretty much, I mean, in the first action sequence, Baby Doll meets Scott Glenn, who's kind of like the the spirit guide um for them throughout the throughout the fantasy sequences and he that's when he tells her you you need five items you need a map you need fire you need a knife and you need a key uh and you need the fifth mysterious thing which you'll figure out on your own later i wonder what it could be so i don't know like what he's supposed to represent scott glenn is that like baby doll's like sense of independence or her sense of resistance like 
I assume, I especially her, her given an, her like, or something. Yeah, I think given where he shows up at the end, I think that's accurate. Like sense of independence. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. We we can't read too literally into this just because it it, it it would break our brains. But um, <laughs> the the first sequence when they have to steal. Actually, they don't steal anything in the first sequence, do they? The, the samurai one. The samurai sequence. Well, it's only baby doll, actually. So right, that that's the introductory fantasy sequence. Yeah, and that's the sequence that has the only good music. That is the Bjork uh, army of right. me sequence. But again, it's so literal. Like right, it's like yep. I'm an army of me. Uh, yep. <laughs> yep, we get it. We get it. Um, and that that's that, I guess I guess the thing she receives in that sequence is she she receives her weapons. Scott Glenn's like these are your weapons. Keep them with you and now fight. Yeah, and it's a cool. It's an awesome katana. It's an awesome. Um, it's a Colt M nineteen eleven pistol. Um, which actually on the end, this is kind of cool. They had um Netsuke on the on the butt of it. The little Japanese char- like cell phone yeah. charms. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of cool. Yeah, that was pretty great. Um, and it's interesting actually. So the weapons she gets and some of the weapons we see throughout the rest of the fantasy sequences are callbacks to the opening sequence. They yep. do a very much like time bandits labyrinth thing where yes. like these, these mementos that we see in the only in real life sequence are then uh, throughout the fantasy sequences. Um, so the Katana is actually a letter opener that her dad uses to open yes. like the mother's will. Um, there's like her sister has a, a bunny doll and then the mm-hmm. mecca has a bunny face on it later um and then he she almost kills her stepdad with a, a, a colt pistol uh and then yep. there's flintlock pistols um that rocket jenna malone uses later in a, a fight sequence and he has like flintlock pistols in a, a little display case in his office the stepdad right and um yeah just, just lots of interconnected imagery throughout all of all of all layers of the fantasy in reality um but um but yeah the, the samurai fight scene it's it's cool it's really cool it's um very much like sekiro uh if, if shadows die twice if any of you any of, you, any oh, of our yeah. audience members have played that <laughs> um gigantic oni oni sized samurai fighting off against this like waif girl and just i don't know it super super heavily um heavily heavy use of cgi imagery right um but not horrible i don't know it 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 didn't look great but it didn't take me out of it either no i actually think most of the cgi is good i mean well i'm 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 thinking specifically of the of the samurai fight scene just um i I think it's a little better used later on yeah i mean there's way too much of like her jumping around so there's a lot of like full body human cgi and as we've said before in previous episodes that almost never looks good um but i think enough of it was I, there might be some wire work in there as well. I, I can't tell, you know, because everything else is so CGI. It It, it is kind of hard to tell the difference. Yeah. But I mean, um, I mean, just like as far as teenage boy fantasy dream worlds go, like samurai fight scenes in, in the peaceful winter in like a fantasy Japan is like the, the zenith of that shit. Yeah, for sure. No, th- I mean, there's just, there is some really nice imagery a lot of like good wide shots um stuff like that used mm-hmm. in, in this in this sequence and even the slow motion um it, it's used appropriately throughout but especially in this fight scene um like when she's flipping over like the the one of the samurai has a giant uh, naginata and he tries to like 
chop her in half but then she flips over it like two or three times and it's in slow motion and then she charges another one who has a gatling gun and it, it it's slow motion is is slow motion action scenes are very hard to to do well but this did it well yeah for sure uh the next action sequence which is the first like team action sequence uh right is the world war one no man's land sequence Ver- versus diesel punk zom- nazi zombies yeah <laughs> <laughs> which is again very very uh high octane teenage boy fantasy material yeah although i mean i guess they're sort of coded as nazis but they are just german soldiers during world war one right yeah it, it's it's distinctly world war one flavored not world war two flavored yeah i mean obviously like they're evil german steampunk soldiers right it's easy to read zombie into that or nazi into that yeah, but I, I think it's important to make the distinct... Actually, this would be like a huge nerd. Like, actually, it's a World War II reference, not a World War II... It's a World War One reference, not a World War II reference, because, like, the heavy use of trenches in the whole action sequence. Right, yeah, and biplanes. Actually, there are more triplanes on display, because that was what the Germans used. That was what the Red Baron used, notably. <laughs> oh, folks. I mean, I'm not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's right there. Um, so... If you haven't figured it out, it's a World War One sequence. Although we keep yes. saying World War Two, uh, <laughs> mea culpa. World War One fight. Uh, World War One German Nazi diesel punk zombies, but not Nazis. They're not, Nazis. They're not Nazis. Jesus Christ. World War One diesel punk German zombie soldiers. Um, but yeah, it's it's a super uh, it's a super great um, sequence. Um, Scott Glenn here. And he he's evolved from samurai master to like he's just like a bombardier general i guess uh he's just a general in this one general the next, the next one when he is when he's like the bombardier right right he, he's just like a general he's like um oh these are your orders break into the enemy lines steal the map and and here is when they introduce the idea that the items they have to get in the fantasy in the fantasy sequences correspond to items in the real world yeah so they have to get a map of the mental institution slash brothel uh, or well, Sweet Pea does. She has to steal it from Oscar Isaac. Uh, his character's name is Blue, I think. Um, yep, she has to steal it from his office. But again, we don't see that. We don't see her steal it because we we just get the fantasy sequence. And and what's really th- this is where it breaks down again. Like, do they steal that in the real world? And how do they steal it in the real world? Aha! This is also uh, barely noticeable, but they have like a old school like copy machine yes in mr blue's office in mr blue's office in the real world in the real world so she copies it and who copies it sweet pea does sweet but pea. we don't see but that. we only we only see her go into the office we and then only that's see her it. go into the office in the brothel world not the real world not in the real world we almost never see the real world again until the end of the film but at the end of the film at the at, when they close when they close the film they show the damage done during the escape yes yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. That's God correct. damn it. Like, what? Like, Jesus Christ. Yes, yeah, <laughs> it's ridiculous. And the only reason yeah. I remember um, the copy machine is because Oscar Isaac pieces it together. He holds his hand over the copy machine and it's warm. He like, right. he, he turns right. his hand over and it's like, oh, this is warm. And then he also notices that she replaced the pin in the map in the wrong spot. So there's two holes in the at the edge of the map. 
Right. And uh, I actually just um, had a realization. I think the reason they might have named him Mr. Blue, he might be named after the Russian, the old Russian legend of Bluebeard, who would um, marry young brides, um, consummate the relationship, and then kill them the next day. Hmm. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah. Let's give it to Zack Snyder. Let's give him something. Yeah, <laughs> throw him that one. <laughs> um, he's into fantasy and folklore and all that bullshit. Um, so yeah, that's the first, that's the second sequence. Um, and here is when as you said, we, we are introduced to the other four girls um, in the fantasy sequences to mirror their, their introduction in the real world. Um, they all have, they all have their own weapons. They all have their own guns and they all have their own melee weapons. Um, Amber notably, she's like the pilot in all the sequences. And in this one, she pilots a mech um, with the bunny painted on the front. It's pretty cool. Yeah. She gets to do the most in this sequence where we really and then the there's a castle sequence, which is the next sequence. She gets to do a little bit there, and she does noticeably absolutely nothing in the final sequence, the sci-fi sequence. Although that kind of mirrors um, the involvement of all the girls in the plans as the as the plot goes along, because Amber and Blondie kind of don't participate as much um, in the in the plan to escape in the brothel level later on. And that mirrors, like, Amber isn't even in the the sci-fi train sequence. I'm sorry, Blondie isn't even in it. She, she's barely, like, she's shown at the beginning, but she doesn't participate. Yeah, where is she even? Like, is she on the train she's, or she's, is she... I think she's in the helicopter and that's it. Oh, I think you're right. I think she's just in the helicopter. But, again, that, that mirrors, at that point, she wasn't really playing along with the plan. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but we're getting ahead of ourselves here. So... Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Uh, after the World War One No Man's Land sequence, which I will say, a lot of people talk about the Wonder Woman No Man's Land sequence, and they're like, oh, what a great scene. I, I do think it is a good scene, but the scene's, uh, it's a rival. It's a rival sequence, I think. I mean, um, they're different, for sure, but in terms of like a cool No Man's Land sequence, you know, you got some competition here, Wonder Woman. Yeah, this is better. This is better. <laughs> this is better. This is a better sequence. Um, I think it is. Cho- I think it is. There's one. There's a few seconds of choreography. Um, Sweet Pea and Rocket got separated from the rest of the group, and they're they're fighting a bunch of soldiers in a random section of the trench. And um, Sweet Pea almost dies, but Rocket manages to save her. And the the choreography in that the the karate and the and the and the gun handling action is just, is just like better than anything in wonder woman the it it just very kinetic action and very cool inventive action that also stays somewhat plausible yeah definitely um yeah a lot of the gunplay and like kind of uh you know sweeping the guns from like one side of the trench to the next and into the next like alleyway and all that like the behind the scenes footage of like keanu reeves doing all the gunplay training his gun wick yeah his his gun wick his gun gun wick (laughs) Yeah, his, his his John Wick action John training. Wick, yeah. Like, I'd want to see them doing their action training. I, like, I think yeah, they had yeah, to do yeah. a lot because it is really well choreographed, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but yeah, so they 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 get the map, they escape. Um, they get the map in the fan, in the brothel layer of reality too. Um, and then they move on to the next. Some other bullshit happens. <laughs> then yeah, they move on to bullshit. the next fantasy sequence. Yeah. Then they have to get um, a lighter from the the mayor who's coming, and he's a client of theirs. From Bernie Sanders, <laughs> the mayor of the, the Vermont mayor. <laughs> um, yeah, this guy, um, he hates women just as much as Bernie Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> he's the- 
<laughs> we're kidding. We're kidding, folks. We're kidding. Oh my god, that is a comedy. Excuse me, up. Jane. I'm going to visit the brothel. <laughs> don't wait up for me. Oh god, I might cut the sequence. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows, folks? We'll see what happens. <laughs> we'll we'll see how that impression sounds. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, they they have to steal his lighter because the they need to start a fire to to be a distraction when they escape. And notably, the the lighter in the brothel sequence, it has a dragon carved into it. Right. Yep. Kind of cool. Yeah. Cool stuff. Makes you think. (laughs) (laughs) Makes you makes you think (laughs) in the Zack Snyder way. Yeah. So the the next sequence is uh, is a high fantasy, um, you know, uh, sword and sorcery type sequence um, with orcs, a castle, and, and and dragons. Guns are still involved. Like, w- w- one of the things I liked about the fantasy sequence is that the girls and Scott Glenn, they essentially remain the same throughout all the fantasy, all the fantasy sequences. They have the same weapons. They have the same outfits. Uh, but not um, Scott Glenn. Scott Glenn's the only one who changes. Right, right. He, he changes every time. Yeah, he, he changes um, in accordance with, with the environment. But the girls remain the same, um, which heightens that in a good way, I think, like that, that video game um, sensibility. Yeah. Although it's it's interesting though Scott Glenn's appearance in this one. So as we said previously, he looks like kind of like a Zen monk, and then he changes into a general. In this one though, he doesn't like turn into like you know a wizard or anything like that. He just he's like a bombardier in in their like World War Two plane though. Like he, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, he has it's like a trucker like, hat on, and he has like yeah. these giant um, headphones, and then he just has like a jacket, like a bombardier jacket. All, all of these, I, th- I think all of the fantasy sequences are actually the middle two. The middle two are the weirdest and most like incongruous because like the World War One, but with zombies is like a straight up fantasy thing and castle with orcs and airplanes is a weird fantasy thing. Whereas the samurai one is just straight up samurai and the science fiction train one is just science fiction train. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so in the castle scene, they have to get fire as well. Where do they get it from? They get it from the um, the neck of a baby dragon. You know, actually, so it's a wyvern, folks, because it has uh, yes. feet and uh, its arms serve as its wings as well, very much like a bat. Um, it's, it doesn't have four legs. It's not a quadruped with wings on the back. Um, mm-hmm. So it is a wyvern, but to their credit, they never call it a dragon. They just like say you have to kill the baby and don't wake up the mama. They never say mama dragon. They never say baby dragon. They have to get like these crystals that when you hit them together, they form fire and they're inside the dragon. So you could assume that's how the dragon makes fire. Yeah. And that was, that was pretty cool. I, I, I like how that's like in this universe, th- that's how dragons make fire or that's how wyverns make fire. Um, that like that stone is what gives them that power. And they already have one because Scott Glenn gave them one. And when they strike the two of them together, it creates no, dragon they, fire. No, they get for both them. from the dragon baby. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. There's so, like, two in, in, in there, the dragon's yeah. neck. That's how they make fire. They they have an organ that strikes them together. Yeah. And that's what creates dragon fire, which is, which is a cool, really, really cool, practical, but also like mythical explanation for the source of dragon fire. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty dope. But I don't know. I don't really care for this sequence very much. The, the fight scenes are, are the weakest in this in this one. Um, I do like how Amber has more to do in this one. Like she, like we were saying, she flies the airplane and she does this maneuver through the castle bridge that forces the dragon to crash into it. That was kind of dope. But yeah, just 
I guess they kill a few orcs in the courtyard, but that's it. Yeah, and they go into the actual castle, I think, and they're like uh, clearing like the staircases, like the spiral staircases. But it's mm-hmm. really nothing interesting. Um, the only interesting visual gag they have is uh, they put two orcs in a catapult, and then like, yes. another orc like launches them onto the plane. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and they're like starting to break into the cockpit. Amber like shoots one in the face. And then it falls off and goes through the propeller and we get like this nice uh, blood and, you know, viscera spray. Um, they, they do that in Captain America, the first Avenger, too. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but this film is before that. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. that's like 2012, yeah. 2013. So, yeah. Fuck you, MCU. Actually, no, I think it's the same year. Oh, OK. Yeah. Well, still fuck you, MCU. I'll never stop yeah, that. Fuck you, MCU. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> so they get the they get the fire. Um the match uh, not the match the fucking lighter the zippo um yeah and that's when mr blue in the brothel world starts becoming suspicious of them right because the mayor actually notices that it's been stolen from him right yeah right he starts to like kind of track them down and, and, and put the pressure on them to like i know you're up to something and you'll tell me blah 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 and that starts off or, or that that instigates the the final fantasy sequence when they have to steal the knife from the cook and they basically i guess like the the insinuation is that the cook is like mentally handicapped to some degree because they they lock him in the in the um kitchen and baby doll starts to do a dance which kicks off the the sci-fi train sequence fantasy but when the music um kind of shorts out halfway through it snaps back into the kitchen um until they can get the music to start up again yeah it's the only fantasy sequence where um the action is broken because something happens in the real world um so as i was saying you know i think a better film would have the more heist-like aspect where there's more cross-cutting between the fantasy and the real world um and eschewing the whole brothel bullshit but um this film kind of gives us that uh but it still goes back to the brothel fantasy of course while they're kind of mesmerizing the cook with baby dolls dancing um we get introduced to this earlier like when they like grab the cook and like put him in the chair to watch her um they knock over like this this pot of like boiling potatoes and like the water is going down to the drain but also the cord for the radio is right in the path so once the water gets to the actual drain it short circuits the radio um, right and but that does nicely parallel um so in this train sequence they have to disarm a bomb that is going towards a sci-fi city and they're just like mowing through all these like very um chrome and reflective robots and mm-hmm. uh at the end of the sequence they disarm the bomb but one of the robots like is half alive still uh rearms the bomb and then we cut to that real world conflict and again i i really wish they had basically like cut out the whole brothel aspect um because they could have done something similar with all the other fantasy sequences they could have um uh cross cut to use one of our terms that we learned from an earlier episode between the fantasy world and the real world showing like the parallels of how um mistakes or or happenstance in the real world um plans resonate in the fantasy world like they did here because that would have been such a cool um visual storytelling technique to do but um unfortunately we we only do get this one instance of it because the movie deals so much with the brothel stuff yeah so 
I do like this sequence though in general outside yeah. of like you know being the only one with cross cutting the robot um fight sequence is really good uh, at first I was like hey, these robots look stupid but the use of slow mo um is is just like amped up in this sequence yeah t- um to the sequence's benefit um they do kind of the samurai jack trick where you can be super brutally violent with robot enemies yeah <laughs> and, you, and you, you can use like electronics and in like oil and like robotic fluid in, instead of like blood and guts um so you you kind of get a cheat there in terms of like showing how fucking badass like the kills are but yeah like, like lewis was saying the slow-mo kind of really comes to a head here and it really works um very heavy cgi but as we kind of thought earlier I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some degree of uh, wire work and also very, very impressive and very, uh, very suitable uh, real world choreography and stunt work. Um, and yeah, actually, another thing that makes this one of the more impactful and memorable fight se- uh, action sequences is that Sweet Pea, di- Sweet Pea dies. Right. Um, she dies in the fantasy because she gets blown up by the bomb once they fail to escape, once they fail to get it off the train. Um, but that's just, um, an echo of what happens in the real world because the cook stabs her with the knife they were trying to steal. Right. Uh, again, which is very symbolic and very fitting. Um, the thing they're trying to steal is what causes the death of one of their own. Um, just because events happen that they couldn't plan for and account for. Um, but they, they still do steal the knife. Um, Amber takes it. It's shown. Right. Yeah. So, um, they get the knife and... The culmination of this is the um, final um, burlesque review they're supposed to put on for the High Roller, John Hamm's character. The long-rumored arrival of the High Roller. Yeah, slash lobotomist in the real-world story. Of course, we don't see them do any kind of burlesque review because by this time, Oscar Isaac's character has figured out what they're doing. They're trying to escape. He confronts Mm -hmm. them in their dressing room um and he actually kills amber and blondie well just really quick before this he throws um he throws sweet pea in into solitary confinement right yes because she she, she's absolutely freaking out that her sister rocket died um and so he's like i don't have time for this bullshit throw in the throw in the in the cell yeah um and then he goes on a rampage because he starts find he he finds the 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 secret list they've been keeping of the items they need to steal and um yeah, he 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 shoots Amber and Blondie just, and then he's like, "Up, oh, this this is that like you you all 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 the rest of you girls will respect the pecking order from now on." Yeah, so then he ushers everybody else out because like in the mental institution world, it's like these two orderlies who are with him, but they're like kind of bouncers in the brothel right. world. He ushers them out of the room or like they take the dead bodies. I don't remember exactly what happens. I was, I stopped paying attention around this part to be honest. Yeah. It's, it's, it's whatever. <laughs> um, but then he's like, he's trying to assault baby doll, um, in some fashion. And she actually gets to keep the knife. They like, they hide all of their, um, their items under a drawer with some tape. Um, so she's able to pull that knife out and she stabs him kind of in the shoulder. They take the effort to show you where she stabs him because it's reflected later on in the real world that he has a wound there as well. Yeah. And then this is when we go back to the real world, finally. We, yep. we actually see the lobotomy. We, we see it as explicitly as you can get away with in a PG-13. Right. Yeah. Like, they, like they don't actually show the, the wound, but they, 
they show John Ham stri- his hammer striking the lobotomy needle. Yep. Um, so baby doll is lobotomized. Um, Oscar Isaac brings her with some other orderlies. Well, we forgot one quick thing. The in in the burlesque uh, fantasy sequence, um, baby doll and sweet baby doll break sweepy out and they escape. They 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 make their escape using their items. But right. then baby doll has to distract the crowd of assembled um, burlesque patrons right. in the courtyard so sweepy can escape. And she, you think she, this is actually kind of neat. She she likes just she walks out and in, into the courtyard and she's wearing her glittery outfit and everyone's staring at her. And you think she's going to do another dance. And then one guy walks up to her and he's like, oh, what, what's up, baby doll? How's it going? And then she kicks him in the balls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the final thing the that she had to uh, collect is actually herself. Um, she has to give herself up to the people in the courtyard so that um, a Sweet Pea can escape. And I guess you could say the fifth thing she needed was like her her agency, her her freedom to choose or something. I don't know. Something like that. I don't know. Kind of muddled. Yeah, something know. muddled. Um, self-realization, self-actualization. Yeah. So then, right. Then it goes to the real world stuff. Oscar Isaac is about to assault um, Baby Doll in the real world. Yeah. Um, but actually during their lobotomy sequence in the real world, um, John Hamm turns to dr gorski played by carla gugino who really she doesn't do much in this movie i guess it's probably why we haven't mentioned her at all (laughs) she she she, she's like the brothel madam in the brothel world um she she teaches them how to dance and she choreographs the dances and um she tries to look out for the girls but yeah she she doesn't she doesn't have much of an impact upon the plot no but here um John Hamm's like, oh, uh, she must have been really bad, huh? Like, that's why you signed off on this lobotomy. And she's like, wait, I never signed off on a lobotomy. He gives her a piece of paper. It's a forgery of her signature that blew Oscar Isaac did. Um, So right before he's about to sexually assault baby doll, uh, she comes in, uh, Dr. Gorski, with the cops, and they they arrest him. But yeah, uh, that's the movie. So better than expected. Well, we also left out one thing. Sweet Pea escapes in the real world. Oh, she, yeah. She, yeah. She, she, le- she leaves on a bus, and um, Scott Glenn is the bus driver. Yes, Scott Glenn is the bus driver. Um, he helps her escape the police, and that's it. Yep, that's it. Um, they go to Fort Wayne, Indiana, from Brattleboro, Vermont. And uh, speaking of uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, that's where I uh, just purchased this brand new mic that I'm using for this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out, shout out to Sweetwater Sounds for giving me this awesome podcast or sending me this awesome podcast in mic. This is not a red ad. I'm just, this is all, this is all improv. This is all uh, natural. I'm just saying this out of appreciation for a quality product. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Sweetwater is one of the better places to buy uh, sound equipment from. Workers of note. That's somewhat relevant, right? workers yeah i guess selling <laughs> goods buying goods <laughs> i have one here that i um that i found during like when we were recording this episode but the the, the fight choreographer and stunt coordinator for this movie is uh damon caro and he appears to be a frequent collaborator with snyder nice he um yeah and he he choreographed uh batman versus superman man of steel 300 wonder woman justice league he 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 has his um he has his wheelhouse and he does it pretty well. Yeah, for sure. Um, oh, and Watchmen. Sorry. No. Oh, yeah. No, I think that's accurate. I, I was actually going to try and find uh, some kind of a stunt person or person. So glad you did that for me. 
Uh, <laughs> that's called team. You're, you're welcome, Lewis. <laughs> um, the ones I listed are really just um, production, art, and and casting individuals um, in general. I think, as we mentioned previously, the casting is phenomenal. Um, Mm -hmm. And that is due to people like uh, Michelle Allen, who did casting uh, for the sections that were filmed in Canada. I guess this film, like every other film, is filmed probably in like Vancouver. Um, Mm -hmm. Christy Carlson, another casting director. Uh, Laura Kennedy, also another casting director. So kudos to them. Production uh, aspects that we enjoyed production design art direction and costume um production designer rick carter art directors patrick bannister and todd chernuski uh we have two supervising art directors uh stefan dechant and uh, grant vanderslagt uh costume designer michael wilkinson i mean it's all good folks uh <laughs> you yeah. know uh not much to say. It's good. It's it, it's all good. Um, again, what probably Zack Snyder's greatest strength is his visual sense, um, sense of aesthetics, his sensibilities, um, just super distinctive. Everyone the world over, and anyone with a passing interest in popular cinema probably can pick out a Zack Snyder uh, screenshot from any others. Honestly, yeah, definitely, um, and that aesthetic wouldn't exist if not for other behind the scenes individuals like right, these right. people. So, so yeah. yeah. Who, who would you, who would you recommend this film to Lewis? Uh, oh, that's a good question, Nick. Uh, <laughs> our broke recommendation would be for fans of original stories um, who are sick of this uh, desolate landscape of intellectual properties that we have now Everything yes. is Marvel or Star Wars, um, some kind of Disney property, as we like to go on and on about. Uh, but it's we do it for a reason, folks. It's true. Uh, yeah, there are it's, very few it's unavoidable. original stories being written and made in Hollywood, um, and a lot of them that are made are fucking terrible, especially in the action <laughs> genre. So yes, it's nice to see a film from eight years ago that is an original story that might not work on every level but is an enjoyable watch and an ambitious failure is is far far preferable to a mediocre success which is arguably like the thesis of this of this fucking show yeah <laughs> you know who said that sun Tzu, motherfuckers it was sun Tzu. <laughs> art war himself <laughs> uh nick who would you recommend this film to well i'll go ahead and take woken broke or woken bespoke um I, I have two tiers here. First, just just like Sucker Punch, I have two tiers to to delve into here. <laughs> um, for our woke recommendation, um, horny toxic masculinity nerds um, who need examples, more examples of like competent and well written um, female characters. Um, I'm not saying Sucker Punch has them, but Sucker Punch is like step step number one of a twelve step process and getting them there. Right, like it's yeah, like for sure. We, we can slowly we can slowly build up to like I don't know some like Wonder Woman could be next, like some some Joss Whedon written characters could be next, but like slowly acclimating um, toxic masculinity nerds to the idea of like oh female characters can can be more than eye candy. They can have actually agency, and the, the stories can even be about them. Shocking. So this is the introductory film on that level. Um, my bespoke recommendation is. 
um, to focus on a ver- uh, an aspect of the uh, an aspect of this film that is mentioned in reviews and takes on the film, um, but not as much as as other aspects of the movie that were remarked upon. Um, most of the discussion of this movie when it came out was centered on, um, like the, the commentary on female objectification in fantasy versus reality. Cause that's what this movie is about on, on the face of it. But, um, something that actually that, that, a Catholic reviewer guy mentioned was that the video game aspect, because th- this movie functions basically as a video game movie. I think, um, it's not, it's not an adaptation of video game IP which is what I think most people talk about when they discuss like yeah. the potential of, of finally making a good video game movie. Right? And I think like, that's what most people want, right? Like everybody yeah. wants to see Legend of Zelda adapted or, or Mario yes. or something else, yes. but like no one thinks about like the mechanics or the aesthetics or the thematics yes. of video games being adapted. Exactly. Like I, I do think there, there is a good Zelda movie to be made, like maybe like a Ghibli style cartoon Zelda movie would, would do gangbusters. But, um, that wouldn't be a video game movie. That would be a Zelda movie, a Zelda film. Um, but to make a movie about the experience of playing video games and about about the mechanics of playing video games, the only other one that I can even think of is um, the Existence, uh, directed by um, Cronenberg, David Cronenberg. Cronenberg, yeah. Um, that movie is about video gaming and like the the sensation and 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 what you do when you play play with virtual worlds and um this uh, movie- there's also gamer uh <laughs> <laughs> which that's an episode we have to fucking do the gerard butler film uh where um he is basically like a gears of war guy and then his wife is in like a second life video game uh directed by the duo neville dean taylor who are the directors of the ghost rider spirit of vengeance sequel hell yes okay yeah, yeah that, so that's two episodes feature, right there that's, <laughs> yeah that's two that's two bangers of an episode of episodes <laughs> um but yeah sucker punch um it kind of it, it it plays with that tension between fantasy as escape and fantasy as detriment to escape or detriment to living in the real world like the the value and the pitfalls of escapism um in, in like very very overt obvious nerd aesthetics um stringing along like strung along throughout all these sequences um so yeah I'm, I'm making the argument that sucker punch is a video game movie despite having like nothing to do um superficially with video games yeah that's for sure i actually think um it's a lot like the the ps4 commercials that are out like nowadays in the last yes like, three or yes. four years or, or that um the army recruiting propaganda. Oh yeah. The, the army of one <laughs> where he fights yeah. the lava monster yeah. with a sword. Yeah, definitely. Big, big energy, big sucker punch energy for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, well, that is our sucker punch episode folks. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, this is one that I would actually say like, go out and watch if you can. Yeah. It is an enjoyable, yeah. like almost two hours. Uh, there is actually an extended cut that I we did not watch and that one is a little over two hours probably skip that one yeah forget that I, I can't imagine this movie needed to be cut down if anything yeah <laughs> um, it's, but yeah go see it folks it's it's a lot better than I was expecting um, it's a good Sunday afternoon flick yeah all right see you next week see you in the real world Monday.